Pastor Zardi did such a great job last week introducing this sermon series, this brief three-week sermon series called Refocus, where we're revisiting and reminding ourselves and encouraging each other in the five core beliefs of who we are as a church, what makes us who we are, and what are we doing, what do we think about. Remember he used placards, and I want to launch off of placard number four from last week. Do you remember he used this one to remind us that we have a message worth sharing? God has given us a message worth sharing. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But we're going to talk about it in the area of influence. God wants us to use the gifts he's given us, the things that we have, to be stewards, to be good managers of the gifts. Oftentimes when Christians think of the word steward, they think of money. Be a good steward of your money. And that's true, we ought to be. But God wants us to be great managers, great stewards of everything, of our opportunities, of our relationships, our talents, our resources, our intelligence, and even to be a good steward of our intelligence, uh, of our influence, of the people that we can influence. So today we're in week two of this three-week sermon series called Refocus, and today we're talking about refocusing our influence. The text that we'll jump off from is from the New Testament account according to St. Matthew. Jesus is standing on the side of the mountain, isn't he? And he's saying some amazing words to the people. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We live in a world where, unfortunately, people mostly think about themselves. They don't think about others and how they might influence them for good. Unfortunately, many of us, even in the church, are influenced by the world in the way we think, dress, act, sleep, talk, even tell jokes. God says, no, I don't want you to be um, a thermometer that shows the temperature of the room. I want you to be a thermostat that influences the temperature of the room. So let's learn about what God's word has to say about us being influencers and uh, go out into the world and be influencers. But before we do, let's come together in prayer. Father, you are good, and we want to know what it means to be the light of the world. We want to know what it means to be a city on a hill. We want to know what it means to be put on a lampstand. We want to know what it means to let our light so shine. So speak to us clearly. We open your word carefully, but with great joy. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock and rock, my redeemer. For Christ's sake, together we all say, amen. So three main ways to uh, engage in our influence, and we can become a more influential person for Christ when we recognize our ability to influence others. You have the ability to influence others, just need to recognize it. From the Old Testament, what a great story. The book of Exodus, you'll recognize the story. We'll talk about it a bit here. Exodus 4, the Lord said to Moses, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back to a staff in his hand. Wow, what cool stuff God was doing. What's going on there? Well, we could talk about this a lot, but for our purposes this morning, God was saying, Moses, lay down all that you are. See, the staff represented his income because he took care of sheep. He was laying down his income stream. The staff also stood for his identity because he was a shepherd. People know that people are shepherds by the fact that they hold a staff. It also was a sign of his influence because you can influence sheep you knock them around you hit them go this way that way God was saying Moses lay down everything you are I want to see if you'll do it and then take it back up again and remember once uh, Moses took up that 
staff which became a snake, which became a staff again. Later, God used that for miraculous things, to turn the Nile into blood, to part the Red Sea. Later, Moses whacks a rock with that staff and water comes out of it. When we lay who we are down to God, totally submit, totally surrender, now he can use us to be influencers. But unfortunately, when we hold things back, God probably looks at us and says, I don't know if that servant is really ready to be used as an influencer. You might know the name Bill Bright. He was the founder of a worldwide ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. It now is called Crew CRU. Early in his Christian walk, Bill Bright, um, in a challenge to himself before God, said, God, what can you do with a life completely committed to you? I give myself to you in this moment and every moment of my life completely and totally. I surrender. Whatever you want, every decision I make, everything in my life will be for you. What will you do with a life like that? And God allowed him to found Campus Crusade for Christ, which has influenced thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of millions of people. Recognize your ability to be an influencer for God. Number two, and we'll spend a little bit of time here, we become a more influential person for Christ when we exercise that ability. We just learned that we do have influence, so now let's exercise that ability. And we'll talk through five uh, words. They all start with the letter S, and they become more difficult things to do as we go through the list. So how is it that God wants us to exercise ability? Well, we start with a smile. Proverbs 15:30 in a messenger's eyes, sorry, light in a messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart. <laughs> Lord just talked about the fact that we can't see smiles through masks and I hate that, but I get that we have to wear them and I do it gladly. But what about a smiling countenance? What about a smiling spirit? When you encounter people and you walk away, are they joy-filled? Are they encouraged? Do they feel blessed? Are they warm? Was it a blessing that you encountered them? Or are they sad? Are they mad? Was it a rough encounter? Are you crusty? I pray a lot of things for myself. You probably do too. And one of the things I pray, I'll be 55 next month. I got a couple of years behind me, a couple in front of me, Lord willing, is I want to finish well. Lord, will you help me finish well? I have the kind of personality that could turn south pretty fast as an old man. I could become a pretty grumpy old guy. I could be a crusty guy. I could be a vulgar guy. I can be critical. I can walk away from people without even knowing that I hurt them. Is my countenance smiling? I want to finish well. We become a good influencer from the Lord when our face smiles and when our countenance, our spirit is smiling. Randy Frazee is a Christian author that we've appreciated around here. He writes this, Nothing harms the church more than when its people reflect the wrong image of who God is. We do this whenever we show unkindness to others, especially the poor, the widows, the strangers in our midst. We do this whenever we conduct our business dishonestly or let our anger get the best of us. These actions harm the church, but they don't stop it. God will build his church with or without you. Our demeanor, our countenance, our manner set the stage for effectiveness in our ministry. The second way we can become effective for ministry is to sympathize. These get a little more difficult as we go down the list. To sympathize. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This uh, passage came up in our life group years ago. 
And the group of us, many of us who have been in the Word for a while and walking with Christ, were surprised that was there. I've never seen that, some people said. That the comfort that we receive from God is now to be used to comfort others who are later going through similar situations. This is called sympathizing. This is called empathy. We become effective influencers for the kingdom when we sympathize, when we empathize. Maybe you've heard of people who become Rhodes Scholars. I don't really know what that means. They must be really smart. They got a good scholarship. Uh, the Rhodes Scholarship was founded by a guy named Cecil Rhodes. He was a wealthy British financier in the late 1800s. He started this, um, this program. Cecil Rhodes was an interesting guy. A personality, tightly wound, impeccably dressed. Everything from the tip of his toes to the top of his head always had to look perfectly. And he insisted that everyone who worked for him, all those around him, be dressed the same way to present yourself perfectly. But not to the point of embarrassment, embarrassing people or hurting other people's feelings. He was throwing a formal reception at his mansion in London. Of course, he was perfectly dressed. Everyone there was put together perfectly. And then he found out that one of the people he invited had ridden a train all day, a young man, a college student. He didn't have time to change into formal wear. He was in shabby travel wear, kind of crusty, probably kind of dirty. And when Cecil Rhodes found out about that, he immediately went upstairs and changed from his perfect formal attire into more shabby traveling clothes because he didn't want that young man to feel out of place or be the object of scorn. This man who found it so important to present himself that way actually stepped into sympathy, stepped into empathy to bless that young man and honor him. One of the words I would use to describe my reflection on our current political situation and the country is fascination. Other things too, I'm hurt by it, I'm troubled by it, it makes me sad, but I'm fascinated. Wow, how did we get here? My side is right. I'm smart. I'm loving. I'm not a racist. I'm well-read. I'm thoughtful. And everybody on the other side, you're the exact opposite. You're stupid, unthoughtful, hateful. What in the world happened? No sympathy. I'm not going to change my political views. I've thought about them. I've prayed about them. You won't either. I'm not asking you to do that. But I'm asking you to step out of yourself and put your, shoes in their, put your feet in their shoes to sympathize. How did, how did they get there? What is their life like? What influenced them? Why do they think that way? To sympathize, to empathize. We become a more effective um, influencer when we serve. And things are getting more difficult as we're going down this list of S's when we serve. We didn't have um, room to put in your outline this entire passage, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 19, from the message translation. But if I were you, I would circle it and go home and read it in the message translation. If you don't have the message, it's available online. Knee-buckling words from the Apostle Paul. Even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all. Why? In order to reach a wide range of people. I want to reach religious people and non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists. I want to touch the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. Now, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered into their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've, I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did this all because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Paul enters into this kind of servanthood not to change your ways, not to walk into sin as others are sinning, but to be with them, to understand them, 
Paul in other translations said, I've become all things to all men that I might influence some. This is an act of service. Jesus served a different way. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, the situation Jesus was in was perfect. Listen to me when I say this. This is true. There was not a hint of aggravation in Jesus' existence. Not a hint of aggravation. It was lovely. It was perfect. But in humility, Jesus said to the Father, yes, I will leave this. And as a servant, I will go to them. And I will be more than just a servant. I'll wash feet and I'll help the poor and say great things. But I will go from servant to sacrifice. I will be their sacrificial lamb. In our life group this past week, I challenged everyone, let's just talk about a simple definition of the gospel. What does it mean? It doesn't have to be big, lengthy religious words. What is the core of who we are in our existence? Well, it starts out with the fact that we're sinners. And because we're broken and sinners, we owe God a debt. We're kind of on death, uh, death row. That's what we owe God. But the gospel continues, and God, because of his love and grace, sent Jesus to swap places with us in death row. Now we're out of the jail cell. We have this life given to us by Christ, but he's in jail. He's on death row, and yes, indeed, died and paid our debt on the cross. That was me that was supposed to be up there. That was you. We traded places. And then three days later, God the Father raised him from the dead. That's the simple gospel. Do you want to influence people with that? Yeah. And when we receive that by faith through grace, we are changed people. Indeed, Christ was our servant. Well, next is maybe even more challenging to speak up. Speak up. We influence people when we tell them what God has done for us and for the world. Speaking takes courage. You've heard uh, it said, you know, show the gospel in your actions. Yeah, but that doesn't let us off the hook. <laughs> You still use words. God used words. Jesus is words. Jesus is the logos. He is the word of God. So we speak, but we do it with love. We do it graciously. We do it with wisdom. But we do speak up. We encourage people in the words of the gospel. We encourage people in other ways. When they're troubled, when you've got a good word of encouragement for them, we use our mouths as influencers to bless them. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. When we see injustice, when we see racism, when we see wrong, with love, graciously, with wisdom, we speak, we say, we influence uh, finally, the, the most difficult S probably is sacrifice, and this kind of relates to the servant one too, but we live a sacrificial life. A life of sacrifice influences people. Long passage here from the book of Hebrews. I always get lost in Hebrews because it's so thick and so wordy. Try not to get lost in this. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That is not made from human hands. That, is to say, is not part of, his, of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. 
The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they will be outwardly clean. But here's our takeaway. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousnesses, consciousnesses, can't say it, from acts that lead to faith so that we may serve the living God. Christ's sacrifice, shedding his blood literally to influence the world. Paul lived sacrificially, Philippians 2.17, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you. Does sacrifice influence people? Yeah, sure does. True story, Domingo and Irene Garcia, real people. He's a mechanic. She's a hairdresser. They're in their late 50s. They're full of Jesus. They know his love, and they, his love has changed them, so they are sacrificially living. They foster parented, if that's a verb, 36 kids. He's a mechanic. She's a hairdresser. Expensive. They've adopted 16. 11 of them still live with them. They're in their late 50s. Mechanic, hairdresser. Yeah, not a big income, living sacrificially. Their greatest accomplishment, they say, is many of their adult children now have become foster parents and adoptive parents. It's a beautiful story. Was it hard? It had to be. I have one kid. That's expensive. (laughs) They had 36. CBS News heard about them and did a bit on them. Their story was seen across the country and around the world. Did their sacrificial life influence people? Yeah, sure did. Hebrews 13, 16 And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. You may have heard of the name David Livingston. He's a famous British physician from centuries ago. Christian, Christian to Africa. People said, Dr. Livingston, what a great sacrifice you've you've given. He says this. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply acknowledging a great debt we owe to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward and healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope for a glorious destiny? It is emphatically no sacrifice. Rather, it's a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, foregoing the common conveniences of this life. These make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this be only for a moment. All these are nothing compared with the glory which shall later be revealed in and through us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not talk. When we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high and gave himself for us. When we sacrifice we influence people. Number three, we don't have a lot of time to spend on this one, but we become a more influential person for Christ when we maximize that influence. Point number one is that, yeah, you're an, uh, an influencer. You can. Point number two is how to be effective in that. And point number three is how do we maximize our effectiveness? Well, Colossians 4, 5, and 6 has some key words for, for us, and we'll camp on those. Paul says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. I'm shouting that. Let your conversation always be what? Full of grace. Seasoned with salt, that's the truth, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your speech always be full of grace. What does it mean to be gracious? 
Again, simple definition doesn't have to be wordy or difficult. Could it be that to be gracious is to radically bury our own agenda, our own will, the things we desire to bless other people? I think that's a pretty good simple definition of grace. To radically bury what we want, our agenda, our desires, the things that we think are important in order to bless other people. When we speak that way, we are maximizing our influence and we are being gracious. In a moment, my favorite all-time illustration of what it means to be gracious, we'll end with that. But before we get there, a couple of next steps. These are in your outline. Maybe think about, pray about these things this week. Take some time to identify your influencing gifts. What are you good at? What relationships do you have? What resources has God blessed you with that he intends for you to use as influencing gifts? Discover those. Number two, pray for more sympathy and empathy. Man, I need a boatload of that. I do okay. I need to do a lot better. How about you? Would you pray this week, Lord, make me more sympathetic with people I don't even really like. <laughs> people who maybe I, maybe I hate. Let us be more loving. Let us be more sympathetic, more empathetic. Number three, let God's grace, let his grace, his what? His grace be the main driver in maximizing your influence. Well, my favorite all-time story of grace, it ends abruptly as stories about grace often do. True story, Pastor Rod Rosenblatt, what a great name, former pastor, former uh, professor at Concordia Irvine in California. He's in his late teens, it's 1961, his dad bought him a 1953 Buick, big car. It's a Friday night. He and five of his friends are out drinking. They're drunk. He's driving. He has an accident. His fault. Totals the Buick. Scared, guilty, humiliated, crying. What will the old man do to me? I have every reason to think he's going to punish me until eternity. Calls his dad, says, Dad, I've been drinking. I wrecked the car. It's totaled. Dad says, is everybody okay? He says, yeah. Dad says, stay there, I'll send a tow truck for the car and I'll pick everybody up. Tow truck comes, takes the car away. Dad drives the boys home, drops them off at the end of every driveway, lets each boy walk up the driveway and tell their parents about the story. So now Rod Rosenblatt is in the front room of their house. It's kind of dark, him and his dad, crying, guilty, humiliated, scared, deserving every punishment that his dad can unload on him. And his dad says to him, Looks like you're going to need a new car. Why don't you go out this weekend, pick one out, and we'll get it for you. Let's pray. Father, you have every right to ground us, to punish us, to lecture us on the stupidity and selfishness of wrecking the car. Except you could lecture us and punish us for wrecking our lives but instead, while we're sitting on the couch, crying, embarrassed, scared, humiliated over the mess we've made of our lives, you say, it looks like you're going to need a new life. And then you say, here, take my sons and give me your broken, wrecked life. Grace. Let this grace that you've shown us be the motivator and the driver in maximizing our influence for you to change the world with this message that is worth sharing. We pray all this for Christ's glory. Amen.